0: Bibles to John chapter 10. If you've got uh, your scriptures with you, the passage is also in your bulletin. Before we jump in, I, I need a favor. If, uh, if I may, let me ask you, um, you know, this would be a good exercise for younger ones, uh, you know, boys and girls, if you could help me I want you to uh, take a pen, you can use the little pen in your black notebook or or whatever, and I want you to just count the number of times that you hear me say the name Jesus until I tell you to stop, okay? So just do a little, you know, those little tick marks. One, two, three, four ticks, and then slash, that's five, and then keep on going. But every time you hear me say the name Jesus, just keep count, okay? Um, So yesterday, snow day. Beautiful, wonderful, love it. Um... Talk to me in January, I'm not going to love it so much. But it's pretty good in December, right before Christmas. And um, we did the n- normal thing. We picked out a Christmas movie and had some hot chocolate. We watched It's a Wonderful Life, kind of a Christmas classic. Uh, wonderful movie, and it reminds us of that, kind of that, that pull, how we all want a wonderful life. I don't think that's a stretch uh, to suggest that that's the case, that we all sort of want abundance, we want blessing, we want uh, beauty, and we crave this. We long for deliverance uh, from the curse that's around us. Uh, Everyone's trying to make sense of their lives. Everyone's looking for a better life. Now, we don't necessarily all agree on what that better life looks like and the Different strategies that are employed uh, to achieve that blessing, that abundance, that wonder-filled life, uh, you know, are the evidence of how we, we're not sure we all know what exactly the end of that life uh, really looks like, but we are still pursuing it. We all still want it. We all still long for it. So um, I can put the question to you. Uh, Do you have a wonderful life? Would you say your life is abundant, um, full of blessings? Some of you can say yes. You know, maybe, maybe you would put a little asterisk there, You know, wonderful. Well, all right, what, what is exactly what we're talking about? Um, some of you can say yes, unequivocally, yes, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, so I think, though, maybe the majority here in this room would go, I don't know if I'm going to go that far. I don't, I don't know if wonderful is the best adjective to to describe um, your life, and that's okay. Uh, You might say that your life is somewhere just a little bit south of wonderful, or maybe it's way far south of wonderful, and it's entirely likely that there's some of you here this morning, and um, you know, instantly no, my life is not wonderful. Uh, My life is full of something else. My life is full of awfulness. It's an awful life. My life is full of sorrow. It's a sorrowful life. My life is full of sin. I a sinful life. Whatever, whatever your life is full of, that's what it is. And it's not wonder. Um, so what are we doing this, uh, this Advent? We're looking at these different messages uh, from Jesus where he explains why he came. And then this morning in John chapter 10, he says that I came to bring you an abundant life. A wonderful life. And that's pretty shocking. Uh, So let's let's stand in honor of God's word and figure out what exactly is he talking about? What does he mean when he says that he came, that we might have life and have it abundantly? I'm going to begin in verse 7 and read through verse 11 of chapter 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, Father, would you bless the reading and hearing and receiving of your word? Thank you for what you reveal to us about why you came and how we can, can experience the blessings that come uh, through your advent. And we pray that we would also uh, look forward to the blessings that are coming when you come again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so there, there you see it in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So again, do you, do you have a wonderful life? Is it an abundant life? If, if not, why not? Why not? Uh, if you're cautious about an, an enthusiastic yes, my life is wonderful. If you're kind of going, I need to qualify that. Why? Why? I'll, I'll suggest two reasons. One is, first reason is, well, is God holding out on you? Is God promising a, a wonderful, abundant life to everybody and anybody? Or is this sort of something that he reserves for only a few, uh, and that does not happen to include you right now? Is that what's going on? Is God holding out on you? Or if that's not what's happening, if that's why you can't give an enthusiastic yes to, yeah, I have an abundant life, maybe our sense of wonderful has gotten warped. Maybe the problem isn't with the promise, maybe the problem is with our interpretation, our expectation. Maybe we've gotten a little bit sideways in how we should understand what Jesus means by an abundant life. So if that's the case, our sense of, what's wonderful is warped, and and if the problem is us, then that's actually good news, because that can be fixed. That's something that you and I can adjust, and you know, it's kind of the best bad news you've ever heard. Your sense of wonderful is warped, and you can change that. Let's talk about how Jesus is describing this abundant life. He says, I'm the door. He talks about thieves and robbers, and there's an enemy at work, Uh, and then he goes on to talk about this kind of life that he came to bring to us. But let's look at his claims about himself. He says, I'm the door, you need to enter by me. Uh, Other translations, uh, like the NIV, um, use the language of a gate, you know. But um, there's all kinds of commentary about uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, shepherding practices and you know, how you corral the sheep and hem them in at night and how you keep them secure and what that gate is actually about. Um, so we don't need to go into all of that. I think it's just pretty simple to say that verse 9 says, uh, Jesus is talking about how I'm the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And so when Jesus is describing this dynamic of access, he's sharing with us how abundant life is achieved through Jesus, that he gives us access to the Father, that abundant life has something to do with access to the Father. Um, Later on in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus gives us access to the Father. He's the gate, the door to the Father's presence. Uh, this is not Jesus uh, inventing this imagery. He's borrowing from Psalm 118. He was a, um, you know, raised by Joseph and Mary, went to the synagogue, went to the temple, you know, learned the Torah, learned the writings, um, and, and heard the Psalms. And so Psalm 118 uh, says this, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them. And give thanks to the Lord. I want to, I want to go through the gates <clears throat> into the presence of God. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Do you hear that? The way to get through the gate is to qualify as a righteous person. And I thank you that, I have, that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118 talking about this gate, talking about how righteous will get to go through that gate. Um, that's how they experience salvation and that uh, there's this image of rejection that the one who we know would open that gate for us. who is the gate himself, was actually rejected by his people but to those who have received him, he is our salvation. So the only, only the righteous are permitted access into God's presence. Only the righteous get to go through the gate. Only the righteous qualify. Do you qualify? Are you a righteous person? Are you a righteous man or woman, boy or girl? How do you, how do you know that you can get into God's presence? Well, Jesus is our qualifier. He qualifies us. He blesses us. He makes us righteous. Um, and uh, Peter First uh, Peter uh, 3, he says that, that Jesus did something remarkable for us to qualify us and to make us uh, acceptable to go through that gate. He paid the toll, as it were, so that we could have access to God. Christ also suffered once for our sins. The righteous, Jesus, the righteous one, for the unrighteous ones. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross paying our price, paying our debt, paying our toll so that you and I can freely go through the gate and have access to God. Jesus is the gate. You can enter through him. And Jesus is the one who gives us access to pasture. He gives us access to God. He sort of leads us into God's presence, and then he also leads us out and and takes us to places that might be described as green pastures and still waters. Um, Verses 9 and 11, that, you know, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And in verse 11, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. You know, he's the door and the shepherd. He's mixing his metaphors. We don't have to complain about his grammar. It's okay. Don't don't get uh, sideways on that. He's mixing metaphors because there's not just one metaphor that's sufficient. And Jesus is giving us access to this abundant life. It has something to do with green pastures and still waters. And he's taking us to places of blessing so that we can experience beauty and goodness and all these um, things that we were designed for, that creation was designed for. Um, Sin is corrupted, but still there's there's goodness in this world. There's blessing to be had. Um, Jeremiah talks about God's purpose to give shepherds to his people, Uh, shepherds that would be uh, after God's own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And Jesus is that true shepherd who feeds us, who gives us God's will. Psalm 23 comes to mind, right? The good shepherd. He's my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus gives us what we need. He takes care of us and he loves us. He doesn't hold out on us. He's not holding out on you. If your life isn't wonderful, if it doesn't feel abundant, it's not because Jesus is holding out on you. The gospel has no fine print. It's not that you forgot to read that. So let's figure out, what's, what, let's, let's talk some more about what's going on with abundant life. Um, Jesus is the gate, he's the door and he gives us access to God. Why does he give us access to God? We've talked about how we can be made righteous and we can go into God's presence. You know, um, we've talked about how he leads us to still waters and green pastures. So is this simply so that we can get, go into God's presence, get our abundant blessings and head right out? Is this simply so that we can go into green pastures and just gorge ourselves on beautiful green grass until we're fat and full and throwing up? Is that the purpose? for these blessings, or is there something more? Is there something deeper going on? What what if Jesus came to help you and I actually get to know God? What if having access to God had something to do with actually being in relationship with God? What if having access to green pastures and still waters had something to do with actually experiencing the goodness of God, the one who gives us these gifts? Jesus said in John 17, Hey, this is what eternal life is all about. That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that what's what's important here is having access to God. is not simply so that we can have our sins forgiven. That's important, absolutely. But that is a means to an end. We get our sins forgiven so that we can have a relationship with God. So that we can experience friendship with God. So that we can experience the love of God. And again, this isn't new. The Old Testament was telling us this as well. Deuteronomy, you know, the Shema, the thing that God's people were hearing over and over and over again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It's about loving God, being in a relationship with him. That's why we get access to him. That's why our sins are forgiven. That's why we're made righteous through the blood of Jesus, so that we can experience and live a relationship of of love with our Creator, our Redeemer, our Provider, our Shepherd. So we can have friendship with God. This is how Richard Loveless puts it. The goal of authentic spirituality is a life which escapes from the closed circle of spiritual self indulgence or even self improvement. You know, that's not a bad thing, but that's not the end game. We do want to become better people, but that's just using religion for selfish gains rather than a relationship with God. To become absorbed in the love of God and other persons. This is the substance of real spirituality. It's love. It is not our love, but God's love that moves into our consciousness, warmly affirming that he values and cares for us with infinite concern, but his love also sweeps us away from self-preoccupation and into a delight in his unlimited beauty and transcendent glory. And Jesus is the gate, the good shepherd, giving us access to God so that we can experience his goodness and his glory and worship him and love him and receive love from him. That's why. And is that what your Christianity is about? Is that what my Christianity is about? Jesus is not holding out on us. Jesus is not promising abundance to somebody else besides you. Do you believe that? He's not holding out on you. There's no fine print. His abundant life is available to each of us. The question is, do we have it? Have we received it? Do we understand it? John said that I've written these things to you. that You may may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you have life in his name? Are you experiencing and getting in on that abundant life? I'm not here to make it sound like you've got to have it perfect. You can't. Not this side of heaven. But there should be something something that we can describe as abundant, as wonderful about our relationship with Jesus, right? He's not holding out on us. So if we're missing on something, if, if, if we're, if we're kind of going, I don't know about wonderful, I don't know about abundant, then maybe, maybe our sense of wonderful has gotten warped, right? Maybe we were missing out a little bit. Um, and, and Jesus talks about those who came to steal and kill and destroy. I'm gonna pause right here and just um, get back to that little count that I asked you to help me with. Has anybody been keeping count or have I lost you? Anybody? Anybody got a number? How many times have I said Jesus? 28. 28 times? That's not bad. What have I been yammering on here for 15 minutes? 28 times in 15 minutes, I had no idea. How many times did you get? 27, all right, you guys can arm wrestle for who is right. We're going to go with 27, 8-ish. Did you get a different? Yes, 28. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right, well, put, hold, hold, hold that number in your head. Um, I guess I'm about 15 minutes in here or something. Uh, 28 times. <clears throat> so Jesus, you can stop counting. Don't worry. Thank you for your help. Um, in verse 8, Jesus is talking about thieves and robbers. Verse 10, he talks about how the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, right? So there's enemies. Um, those who are contrary and opposed to the abundant life that Jesus is providing us. And they are, Jesus is referring to the Pharisees. Um, they're opposed to his message, and there are others who are distorting the message, and, you know, we're, we're um, misquoting Jesus or taking everything out of context. And these are the ones who are even so, so opposed to Jesus that they want to kill him. And what's crazy is in the Gospel of John, you see that they're not only planning to kill him, you see um, that in John chapter 11, just in the very next chapter, verse 53, um, how John says that from that day on, the Pharisees made plans to put Jesus to death. Why? Because he raised Lazarus from the dead. But they didn't stop there. They're so committed to, to steal and kill and destroy that in John 12 we read about how the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. How's that for a hardened heart? We're going to kill Jesus? We're going to re-kill <laughs> the guy that Jesus raised from the dead? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus warns us against these people. And you can go to many, many places in the world, sadly, in the world today, where people still delight to kill Jesus' followers. And there's persecution that's rampant around the world. It's always been the case. For 2,000 years, people have wanted to kill those who have followed Jesus because they're opposed to Jesus They're opposed to the abundant life that he offers us. And if they're not going to kill people in flesh and blood, if that's not legal, (laughs) then what they're going to do is they're going to try to kill the hope. They're going to try to kill the joy. They're going to try to kill the love. They're going to try to kill the freedom of the gospel that his people can enjoy. And they're opposed to that, and they want to rob us of abundant life in Christ. These are those who Jesus is warning warning us against, and yet he reassures us in verse 8 that all who came before me, though they be thieves and robbers, the sheep, they won't listen to them. Real sheep are going to recognize that's a false voice. I know my shepherd's voice. I'm going to follow my shepherd. He's my true God. So let me ask you, who are you listening to? What, What voice is shaping your idea, your understanding of what abundant life is about. Where are you getting your definition from? Um, I'm going I'm gonna, gonna to call somebody out right now, and I, you know I don't do this normally. But there are times in the Bible, Paul calls out this person or that person. Jesus would call out, you know, this Pharisee or this group or that. Or that. Uh, and this might surprise some of you. But I saw this, and we were in Costco on Friday, I guess it was. I don't remember what we were doing. But I saw this on the book stand. You guys know who this guy is? Joel Osteen, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you are listening to his podcast. (laughs) Maybe you are. And I'm not saying that everything that comes out of his mouth is awful, but let me tell you what. There's a lot that doesn't come out of his mouth, and that's the problem. Joel Osteen, I got, I, this um, cover got my attention because it's called what? An Abundant Life. Hey, I'm preaching on that on Sunday. What's, what's Joel Osteen got to say about an abundant life? He's got a lot to say about an abundant life. And everything he has to say about an abundant life has to do with this life and this life only. Not once in 96 pages of this incredibly uh, well produced high gloss beautiful photos everything 's just gorgeous about this this magazine. not once in here is he talk about heaven. He talks a lot about prosperity. he talks a lot about what you know life should like look like um, for instance let me let me begin on page forty two um, it talks about the difference between your skinny goat mentality or your fatted calf mentality. And this is your problem. You've got a skinny goat mentality. He <laughs> says, I received a letter from a young couple. They had both been raised in low-income families. And all they saw modeled growing up was lack and struggle. Can't get ahead. Their families had accepted it, but not this couple. They had been coming to Lakewood, that's Joel Osteen's megachurch, they had been coming to Lakewood and didn't have a not-enough mentality. They had an abundant mentality. They knew God had a promised land in store for them. They took a step of faith, and on very average incomes, they decided to build their own house. And they didn't take out a loan. And whenever they had extra funds, they would buy the materials and hire the contractors, and a couple of years later, They moved into a beautiful house in a nice neighborhood, all debt-free. It was as though God had multiplied their funds. Not long ago, they sold that house for twice what they had put into it. And the lady wrote, we never dreamed we would be blessed like we are today. She went on to say, my great-grandparents and my grandparents always told me that if I had beans and rice, that was good enough. But I always knew one day I would have steak. And you're asking yourself, where's my steak? I want steak. Osteen puts it this way, the abundant mentality. When you do that, when you have this abundant mentality, you're going to draw in like a magnet what already has your name on it. There's healing with your name on it. And if you're single, there's a spouse with your name on him or her. If you're believing to have a child, there's a baby with your name on him or her. God has already chosen them to be yours. There's a a business with your name on it. There's a number one movie with your name on it. There's an invention that will touch the world with your name on it. There's a lot in here just like that. 96 pages in this booklet. Only seven of 96 pages even has the name Jesus printed on it. Seven. Seven pages. You've heard Jesus how many times in the first 15 minutes of this sermon? Uh, you only hear the, the title Christ three times in this whole magazine. And it's, and it's this kind of teaching that is why we are all walking around going, where's my abundant life? Because we have bought into this mentality that eternal life is today and I have to have it now and abundant life and a wonderful life is under my tree. Or abundant life and a wonderful life is, is what the world offers me. If I could have a perfect body, if I could have perfect health, if I could have lots of money, if I could have a, a spouse, if I could have a loving spouse, if I could have lots of power and control, or if I could have lots and lots of toys, you know, you, you name it, you fill in the blank, and that's what abundant life looks like. And that's what we think Jesus is promising. And I don't have that, and so therefore God must be holding on. Is that really what Jesus is promising us? Or are there thieves and robbers that we're listening to? And are they distorting our view of what's wonderful? Is it warped? It is a wonderful life that Jesus promises us. It's not perfect pastures, though. At least, not yet. We've got to get in, in our minds that, yeah, there's green pastures, but there's weeds to watch out for, and we're going to have arid places that we're going to have to wander through in order to get to those green pastures. Christianity is not what most people think. Sometimes we get the impression that once you start following Jesus, all your problems are supposed to go away. Did you, ever, did you buy that? <laughs> Somebody come up and you say, hey, believe in Jesus, and you're going to have this wonderful, awesome life, no more problems, everything's going to be great. That's kind of what Joel Osteen tells people. This is false. Now, you know, some problems actually do go away. Like the problems that, if you start following Jesus and you start becoming a person of integrity and you stop lying, then guess what? The problems associated with lying go away. Uh, You don't have to start, you don't have to keep covering up more lies with more lies. Uh, You don't have to suffer the consequences when you can't cover those lies up anymore, and you get caught and, you know, busted, and you suffer the consequences. Those problems go away. But guess what? When you become a person of integrity and you stop lying, you encounter the problems that come with telling the truth. Yay! (laughs) And it's an abundant, wonderful life of encountering all of the problems that happen when you say no to the the boss who tells you to start fudging the numbers. What happens when you lose your job because of your integrity? That's a problem. And that's a problem that you take on. You would list. You signed up for that problem and you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And all the other problems that come with just being a disciple. People are going to write you off, they're going to think you're crazy, they're going to think you're an idiot, they're going to think you're stupid, they're going to, you know ignore you and the friends you used to have they are not going to be your friends anymore and um, there's problems there's problems when we follow Jesus remember that beautiful wonderful psalm about the Lord is my shepherd I shall not be in one and he leads me beside uh, still waters and makes me lie down in these green pastures you know what else Psalm 23 says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil. How in the world did you get into the valley of the shadow of death if you're following your shepherd? Because he led you there. Because he has a purpose for you. Things you can only learn in the valley of the shadow of death. Valuable lessons about holding on to Jesus rather than to your self-sufficiency. Lessons about what pain can teach us. When Jesus is is, is shaving off those rough edges and when he's weeding out the the junk in your heart, robbing you of those idols that we, we bow down to, and only pain can teach us that. If you're in pain, let me ask you, don't waste it. Jesus would not ask you to pay such a high price for, for something unless it was really worthwhile. And so if you're in pain and you're, uh, and, and you're at your wits end, please, please don't pray it away until you've figured out what God wants for you. It means that much to him for you to learn what he's teaching you. Jesus, or the Psalm 23 says, uh, even though I walk from the valley of shadow death, you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there are actually times when God leads us through trouble right through the valleys of the shadows and, and into the camp of our enemies where he prepares a table before me in the presence of our enemies. But he never leaves us. He's always with us. Christianity is not a detour religion around trouble. You don't get to do an end run around the valley of the shadow of death. And it's not a gated community religion away safe and secure from our enemies. It's just not. Jesus promised us abundant life. You know what else he promised us in John 16? I've said these things so that in me you may have peace. But in the world you will have what? Trouble. Tribulation. Trouble, you, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Do you, do you hear that? There will be trouble in this world. Yes, he leads us to green pastures, but there, 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 there's still gonna be trouble. And there is a day coming, and part of the beauty of Advent is we are looking forward to that true abundance where there will be an abundance of blessing and no sin rather than this mixture that we experience right now. And that's why we continue to hope in that day. That is our hope. Earth is not our home, heaven is. And we cannot get them mixed up. And in the meantime, our job right now is we believe in Jesus, as we follow him, as we embrace the good with the bad, and as we just give thanks and trust him that he's leading us and he's with us. Our job is to help others find pasture too. One of the reasons why... Christianity is not an escape, it's not a prosperity religion, Is because God has not only saved us, but he's enlisted us to be part of his work to bring blessings to bear on those around us. And he's calling us to help others find those still waters and those green pastures. George Bailey wanted more than anything to get out of Bedford Falls, this little ramshackle community. He thought it was small town, provincial, and didn't want anything to do with it. You know, He wanted to go away and travel, he wanted to go to college, he wanted to get his engineering degree, he wanted to build bridges, and he wanted to build cities, and he wanted to do big things, great things. And every time he had his ticket out of Bedford Falls, something would happen. Some circumstance would come up that would force him to make a decision. Do I selfishly go and follow my dreams, or do I selflessly stay and serve and help these people Provide, uh, provide for them housing and, and bless this community and help build people up. And every single time, he chose to serve and to bless people rather than to serve himself. We can't get it out of our head. <laughs> That life is found in this world, but instead, you know, like George Bailey, we, were trying to, we have to recognize where is the abundant life that God has for us? You know, the, the movie, God, God Sends Clarence, the angel, to teach George a lesson about what really is an abundant, wonderful life. Is it about travel and big things, or is it about faithfulness and relationships and small things? Is it about serving yourself, or is it about serving others? If you're a Christian, then you've signed on to follow Jesus. And following Jesus includes some wonderful blessings of comfort and joy, but we don't escape. We don't follow him to escape pain and hardship. Jesus didn't. Jesus left heaven and came and embraced our pain, embraced our suffering and took on our sin in order to save us. And we're, we're called to do the exact same thing, to, to not stay behind and, and stay safe and secure and self-protective but instead to go and to bless and to serve and to see the way that when I lead others to green pastures and when we help others to sip uh, from clear waters, we are bringing the blessings of Christ's coming to them, showing them the goodness of Jesus. That's what he's called us to do, and it's not safe. It's just not safe. Richard Lovelace again. For the kingdom of God is nothing other and the proper ordering of all our activities within the framework of obedient love of God and compassionate love of neighbors. The most crucial battle for the kingdom is one every time a human being repents, believes, and submits to the lordship of the Messiah, becoming a new center for the reordering of life on earth as it is in heaven. That's all of us can have an abundant, wonderful life. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, there's a lot of pain uh, in this room. I think there's a lot of sorrow. Um, that's not all there is, thankfully. There's a lot of joy and a lot of thanksgiving, too. But you, you know the mix that we're in. You know the mud that we, uh, we walk through uh, because you came and you walked through it with us. And you gave us Jesus to show us what an abundant life looks like, a life of love, a life of service, a life of relationships, a life of forgiveness, a life of laying down our lives so that others can be blessed. Lord, would you pour into our hearts more and more of your love? Would you fill us with all the fullness of God? Would you show us and teach us what is the height and width and length and depth of the love of God? Would you amaze us and would you fill us and would you show us indeed Jesus is not holding out on us and that we can have a wonderful life by believing in him. Fill us in the places where we feel empty. Be with us in the places that feel like the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, heal what is broken in us. Teach us what we need to learn from our pain and get glory as we seek to do your will and to see your kingdom come as it's done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Praying in his name.